This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Thank you for everyone that has tuned into 52 Weeks of Hustle so far. We're getting closer to the one-year anniversary. I've had a lot of fun sitting down with industry leaders and certainly hope it has been beneficial. In addition, thank you for all the support you have provided on the book that was recently published, Hustle Your Way to Success in Sports Sales. It's a playbook to being elite in the sports business industry. Whether you're looking to get in this business or you already are, you're looking to continue to grow your career, I believe this book can be beneficial for you. Paperback, ebook, and audiobook are now available. Check out 52weeksofhustle.com. Thank you in advance and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hustle presented by Event Dynamic. Event Dynamic specializes in maximizing revenue and increasing attendance. I'm Travis Apple and I'll be your host of this podcast. I've been fortunate to spend my entire career in the sports sales industry and I wanted the opportunity to give back, to give back to those students that want to get in this business or for those people that are in this business that want to continue to excel at an elite level. For those of you who know me, hustle has always been important, hence the name. Each week, I'm going to have the opportunity to sit down with industry professionals to talk about their career path, what it takes to be successful, and ultimately a few key takeaways for you to apply to your everyday. Without further ado, our guest this week, imagine growing up with a dad as a college football coach. You go on to play college football and ultimately having your career path take you to leading ticketing with an NFL team. Our next guest had just this life and many more great experiences. I'm excited to have our next guest, the Vice President of Ticketing, Sales, and Service with the Denver Broncos, Mark Jackson. Mark, welcome to the show. Travis, thanks for having me. Mark, I'm really excited to this. And before we dive into this fun career journey you've had, sales and business is certainly very competitive, and you've had that competitive nature obviously early on in your life. And you grow up in Southside Chicago. Your dad is coaching at Northern Illinois. You end up going to middle school and high school in Oregon as your dad became a coach at Oregon State. So, so talk to the listeners. How was it growing up in a household with a coach? Uh, competitive is probably a good word. Um, my, uh, my, as you mentioned, my father was a uh, was a college football coach. Before that, he coached high school football and high school wrestling uh, in um, Chicago land, south side of Chicago, actually uh, south suburbs. But um, it, it gave me a different perspective uh, just on. Uh, Preparation, attention to detail, right? Um, while, <laughs> I, I often say this while, like, while everybody was out playing uh, tag or red light, green light, like I was watching him watch cut ups at home. So, um, you know, I, I definitely have a, a unique insight in terms of um, football, and, and, and I've basically been able to kind of apply some of that towards my actual profession. Yeah, you were watching film early on in your career, and we'll certainly dive in at you know, some of the comparisons. But, you know, Mark, you obviously end up being quite the football player. You end up living your dream, uh, or one of your dreams, I should say, as you go on to the University of Illinois and play safety on the football team. So what was that experience like, and how did it help shape you into the person you are today, being a collegiate athlete? Tremendously. You know, and uh, a lot of it has to do with uh, the, the, where I actually played at, at Illinois. It was, it's, you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't change it for anything. Um, it's probably 
the best experience that I've had in my life from from the people that were involved in the program, from um, you know support or for coaches, support, medical equipment, uh, academic, the whole nine. Um, but but probably the most important is the teammates, right? Like that's yep. the, the bond and the brotherhood. That's uh, what I truly um, what what I truly hold is precious from from my time and my experience there. And so, you know, you learn a lot about hustle and and um, agility and, and resilience, um, attention to detail, because, you know, you line up a yard too deep and that could be the difference between actually making a play and making the tackle. Right. And so uh, I, I, I learned so much from that experience, from, you know, prep and, and all of that and sacrifice. Uh, what success really looks like, team building, recruiting. Uh, and and it's, I've been fortunate enough to work in this industry where I get to apply some of those same things, you know, every single day, every single week, every single month, uh, now and uh, my career. You know, the podcast, obviously, 52 Weeks of Hustle, and I, I'm sure being a D1 collegiate athlete, hustle was was ingrained in you. Like, what was a day-to-day like? Like, what time were you waking up? What time was, you know, workouts, weightlifting, film? Like, what what is a, you know, a day in the life of a, a D1 collegiate football player look like? Usually you get up at, like, 5, um, be in the training room around 6, and then um, – you know, maybe catch a, a coach or a, a teammate and catch a, a little bit of extra film around seven from eight until noon was usually blocked off for class. But uh, you had to, you know, you had to be in the weight room to get your lift in. At least I did. Uh, mine was usually scheduled somewhere around 1230 or whatnot, 1215, 1230. You'd work out. Then you get treatment take, get ready for a uh, meeting. Special teams practice started at 2.15. You'd have special teams practice. You'd have team practice, or excuse me, meetings um, where you're watching film. You'd have team yeah. meetings. Then you'd have offense, defense. Then you'd have uh, position meetings. Then you, And so you did that for about 90 minutes or so. Then you'd go practice for two hours, give or take, right? And then, then you'd actually have another hour to 90 minutes of film after immediately following practice. Then you'd have training tape or you, then you get treatment again, right. In the, um, in the training room with your medical team, then you'd have training table, which is essentially dinner, uh, which was uh, required. You, we got fed at least a minimum of one time a day. And then after that, you have study table. You do that for however long was necessary. And then you, you go home and you try to be a college student for a couple hours. <laughs> Is there any you, time to have fun? <laughs> then you try to be a college student and then you would kind of get up. Then you would get up and do it all over again. Yeah. So, so getting into this business and working 60, 70 hours a week was nothing compared to, you know, especially it was probably more mentally draining. Back then you had a lot of physical drain and you, it's craziness. Definitely, right. And so I, I remember when I started my career in, in, in Phoenix with um, the Phoenix Suns, uh, with, um, you know, a lot of great uh, people that are, are still doing great things in this business, Drew Cloud, Mike Toman, um, Jeff Ionello. Um, it's funny, when they described everything, the, the role and the position, the grind, the commitment, the sacrifice that was going to be required to be successful in this, um, I thought definitely because I think that I can consistently do those things and I don't have to tackle 230 or 40 or 50 pound tailbacks. 
uh, take on 330-pound pulling blockers. I was like, this is great. Yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, it was it was definitely welcomed knowing that I didn't have to uh, to have the physical toll, so to speak. Yeah, and, you know, speaking of physical toll, and, you know, we'll certainly get into your start in the career, but despite playing four seasons in Illinois, you suffered a major injury midway through your career there in Champaign. And we've talked about how that setback, you know, derailed your chance of playing at the next level, but but more specifically how you had to respond to what that new reality was. And so walk the listeners through some of that experience for you. Yeah, it was definitely uh, difficult for me um, going through it as I look back on it. It was definitely a, a, a very difficult time period. It was you know, something I had never been injured before. And so I'd always been able to play. I, I thought I was, you know, Clark Kent and Superman where <laughs> I could play and I could throw my body around and, and, and get up and, and just dust myself off. And so um, what I what I learned from that experience was um, a, a just a deeper insight into the mental aspect of football. And so although I wasn't on the field, I became an extra set of eyes uh, for – uh, coach Cassidy, who was actually our D coordinator and uh, position coach, and the rest of the, the guys on the team, right? Look out for this. This is what's happening, right? Um, and so that helped me learn more, more about it, right? And so I got to expand my just overall knowledge of of of, of the X's and the O's and football and the mental side of the game more than I had um, at the time. Um, and so then when I came back from that from the injury after all of the surgeries, all three of them, then then I was able to take the physical aspect and, and, and pair it with the, the mental side of the game. And, and I, I, you know, I think I did all right. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. You've got a great career. And, you know, to that point, you, you had to get into the real world. Your first stop was in a great organization, a lot of great people with the Suns, Mercury, and Roadrunners. And, you know, what were some of those key learnings early on that, that maybe you even learned through playing football that you applied to your sales craft? Uh, attitude was one, right? And and what I mean by that is just, you know, being able to forget fast, like having a positive attitude and, and always starting with a clean slate. Like, you know, you get banged on a lot, banged on meaning like uh, hung up on a lot. Yep. But yeah, you can't ever get down. You can't ever let the negativity of that, that derail your approach, your outlook. And so I guess that was the first thing. And then pair that with the work ethic that was required to be successful. No different than being, a, a, a you know, a student athlete, like you got to put the work in, right? If you want to be successful, right? So, and the same could be said for when I started in ticket sales. In fact, I I tried to apply much of what the schedule that I just outlined of of what day to day was like. Okay, well, what are those some of those things that how do they relate to to ticket sales, right? Whether it's studying your playbook, studying your scripts, yep. your call flows, right? Watching films like role playing, right? Not only role playing, but also then recording them and watching them back. Uh, so I try to make analogies from what I was familiar with to my new environment, my new arena, and and try to marry those things. And so uh, those were it, that's helped that helped me assimilate into this new role. And 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 also probably one of the most important things was just being comfortable with being uncomfortable, yep. right? And, and learning how to do that because it's not it, it's not an innate skill, right? Nobody just wakes up that way. You have to learn how to do that. You have to put yourself in, in scenarios so that you can grow and develop and stretch yourself and push yourself. And, yeah, it might create anxiety out the gate, but once you step into that and, and welcome to like, or readily step into that, like you become more comfortable with that uh, that scenario. 
You're absolutely right. It's great advice, right? There's so many similarities, whether you grew up playing a sport or playing an instrument or doing whatever, you have to put the time, energy, and effort into it, and you have to practice it. And, like, that's what, you know, I think that some of the misconception at times, you get a couple years in this business, you're like, well, I don't need to role play anymore. I don't need to read scripts. I don't need to read the playbook. Like, nobody is, is having a successful career both on or off the field without doing that. And, you know, Mark, you've, you had early success in Phoenix, and, and you were one of the top sellers, and you spend almost three years in Phoenix, and you decide to get into leadership, and what made you intrigued? Like, was it you're growing up that your dad was a coach, or like, what made you intrigued about leadership, and then what steps did you take as you were selling at a high level to better prepare yourself to be the best leader you can be? That's a great question, and, and I, I, maybe it's like in the... Um, family business, so to speak, because, my, again, my dad was a coach for 35, 40 years, and, and actually, even at the time, my brother was a coach. He was coaching uh, at a school in uh, DePaul uni- uh, University in Indiana, and even went to uh, a D2 school and coached there for a number of years as well. Um, so maybe it is the family business, right, <laughs> of, of yep. coaching and whatnot, and, um, and so it, I always enjoyed it as, as I had success as a sales rep. I was being tasked to help those that came after me. Um, and so going through that and doing that and, and not only helping my, you know, going through it for my own benefit, but then also helping some of the newer sales reps that recently joined the organization. Well, if you're going to help somebody, you got to be the subject matter expert, right? So that means that you got to be on point. So it, not only helping them was beneficial for them, but it also helped me. Uh, accelerate my own personal development. So I realized that early and, and, and sought those opportunities early and often. And, you know, one thing about additional responsibility is that um, it, it's additional, right? So I, I distinctly remember a conversation of if if uh, your primary responsibilities, if those things slip, then these other things are going to get taken away. Taken so, away, yep. Right. If you, if you can't do the primary things, you don't get the secondary things, right? And so... It just meant that you had to put in more time and effort and energy to juggle both, right, because you couldn't let uh, your primary responsibility slip, right? right. So I, I stopped whatever I could out in addition to, you know, my, my primary role of generating revenue as a sales rep, but uh, night call staffs, uh, sitting in on interviews. Uh, we had a, a summer uh, afternoon program with the, with the Phoenix Mercury, which was very beneficial as well. We had a number of programs in Phoenix at the time that allowed – Sales reps who were, were committed to doing the extra get those opportunities, right? And and so I was fortunate enough that I was one of those that 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 sought those opportunities and readily and consistently sought those opportunities, uh, and and it afforded me the chance to to grow my career um, quickly after three years in Charlotte. Right. You know, and something you said earlier, too, about getting out of your comfort zone, right? Like getting into some of those extra activities of helping out with leadership, it's uncomfortable at times because you may be leading some of the people right next to you, but that, that's what it takes to be a successful leader. And you end up getting your first call into the leadership, you know, bullpen, let's call it, uh, with the Charlotte Bobcats, now the Charlotte Hornets. And you end up in Charlotte for, for nine years. You had five different roles, including your last role as the vice president of sales. So, Mark, what did you feel like you brought to the table every single day? that helped you get so many promotions in such a short amount of time? Well, you know, I, I think um, I think what really helped me is I knew what it was supposed to look like. I knew what the what the 
end result was gonna, was supposed to look like, you know, even though it wasn't like that when, when I got there and, and we were all committed to, to creating a proactive sales and service department, right? A, a proactive uh, program where we, we it was focused on, on recruiting top talent, blue chips as we call them, right? Uh, recruiting blue chips and then accelerated uh, development and career growth opportunities for those that, that, that were committed to doing the things that we, we asked them to do, right? The, the, the commitment, the sacrifice, the, the, the positive attitude, the grind, all of the things that, that made us, me successful, you successful, yep. um, all of those things, right? And, and so even though it may not necessarily have looked like what it did, you know, in year one or year two, by your five, six, seven, eight, nine, it did. And so we stayed committed to that vision and we always made sure that regardless of whatever initiatives that we were we were exploring or that we decided to partake in, we kept that same lens of this is what it's supposed to look like. And so we always wanted to make sure that it, it led to that vision. No, absolutely. And, and, you know, Mark, throughout your time in, in the Charlotte organization, and obviously a great organization, you surrounded yourself with not only a lot of great people, a lot of great people that came from your tree. And, you know, I want to ask you a few interesting things that, that went on with that Charlotte organization during your time there. And, you know, first, back in 2014 – you know, the Charlotte, the then Charlotte Bobcats decided to transition back to the Charlotte Hornets. And you, at the time, you were the senior director and then moved during that transition into VP of sales. And what were some of those meetings like talking about, you know, brand change, ownership change, and or not ownership change, excuse me, brand change, name change. And you know, how do you feel like you guys were really able to capitalize on that buzz during that time? Well, so we the, the, the nice thing about it is you mentioned ownership change. So we had the ownership change that happened prior to it, and so we understood the vision, right? And so we understood the vision from the new ownership of what it was going, what, what he wanted it to look like, right, and, and, and how we could actually uh, create that, right? And with the, 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 the transition back to the Hornets brand, we, we spared no expense in terms of, of looking at, at all aspects of it from not only just – the, the, the visuals or the marketing or the branding, but the community aspect and, and the hospitality aspect, every, everything was, was on the table. And we really, we were really diligent about making sure that we, we, we really looked at every aspect of it. Um, and, I, you know, I think it was a, a very successful transition back to it. And, and, you know, in fact, I still have a lot of ties back with that organization. And, and it sounds like they're, they're, they're continuing to do great things there. Right. No, absolutely. And secondly, and I'm sure you hear this all the time, all the time, so I don't want to beat a dead horse, but most of the listeners, you know, throughout this pandemic probably ended up watching The Last Dance with your former boss and the, the owner and chairman of the Charlotte Hornets, Michael Jordan. And, you know, certainly throughout that documentary, everyone saw how intense he was, but also how he always continued to motivate others and challenge everyone to really be elite. And so how does, uh, you know, how do you feel like he transitioned to, into what he does in the front office now? So, you know, also being from Chicago, so it was, it was, you know, for me, it was, you know, I had to, initially it was like fanboy because, you know, obviously it's GOAT, right? It's Mike. Right. Uh, and, and then all of a sudden he becomes the owner and it, uh, and it was great, right? And, and what I expected, I got, right? He's um, super thoughtful. He thoughtful in the fact that he took, he, he asked a lot of questions, right? And I was like, I was like, wow, I was like, this, I mean, he, he knows pretty much, right? But he, he definitely asked everybody a lot of questions. Um, and he was very thoughtful about how he got feedback. Um, he, you know, there was never a rush to do anything. It was very thoughtful and it was very strategic. 
also, you know, very competitive, right? He wanted to he wanted to win. He wanted to to do certain, you know, have certain marks and, and goals and whatnot. He wanted to accomplish them all, and and you could you could sense that throughout the court the throughout the organization, and everybody kind of took on that that competitive drive of wanting to be successful and wanting to grow this, and 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 not only just from a revenue standpoint, but also from just like the brand within the community, right? The reach, the market share, in terms of the, the organization and that brand in that particular marketplace. And I thought we did a, a really great job in terms of transitioning over from one to the, you know, from old to new. And, um, you know, it was, it, was a, it was a great experience. Hey, everyone. Before we get into today's podcast, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle is created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to the community board, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part, you can get all this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Again, we're here on 52 Weeks of Hustle. The guest today, Mark Jackson, Vice President of Ticketing, Sales, and Service with the Denver Broncos. And So, Mark, after nine years within the Charlotte organization, certainly working your way up, you make the transition to the Big Apple as the Vice President of Season Memberships with, with Madison Square Garden and the New York Knicks and Rangers. Why did that move make sense for you at the time in your career? You know, I think that, um, first off, it was a great opportunity to, to work alongside someone who um, I've always thought as, as a, a, a friend, but also a, a mentor as well, and John Abamondi. And he had he he got the role as EVP of, of ticketing there, and, and you know, I congratulated him, and we talked about um, me going up there, and, and it made a fit, right? And so now, and I've been fortunate throughout my entire career, um, like I said, about the leadership in, in Charlotte, um, worked with, and uh, I'm sorry, in, in Phoenix, and then Charlotte worked with Toman and and Todd Fleming, and and and, and my last boss there was Flavel Hampton, who was like my last VP SVP, and um, Pete Quelly, Fred Whitfield, and then I have the opportunity now to go to, to Madison Square Garden and work for John Abermani. So you know, for whatever I've done in a former life, I I definitely crush it because I've I've also I've always had good bosses. Uh, you surround yourself with really good people. Yeah, I tried to. I don't know. Like I said, I must have did well in a former life because <laughs> all of my bosses and all of my colleagues are, you know, are are, are rock stars, right? And okay. so, I had this opportunity uh, to work for this rock star again at Madison Square Garden, at the world's most famous arena, right? At really the biggest stage in our industry, right? It's it's yep. that's why they call it the world's most famous arena. You've got iconic brands in the Knicks and the Rangers um, as as like the the centerpieces for them, plus all of the other brands that are there. Um, and I have this opportunity to essentially play at this level, play, you know, but work at this level. Yep. And um, with all of these iconic brands in this massive market, I was like, well, who's not going to, who's, who is a, that is a competitor is not going to, to take on this opportunity if, if given the, uh, the chance. And so uh, it was really a no brainer for me. And, and also my parents were actually up in, 
New Jersey because my dad was his last stop was at Rutgers, and so it also gave me an opportunity to be closer to my uh, parents as well. So it was it was a win win across the board. No, absolutely. And you, you talked about you know MSG just being an iconic brand and certainly a beast of its own with with not only the events but obviously you know New York and, and Manhattan being a, a tough selling environment. There's so much to do. And so, what were some of the key learnings in that selling environment that you took away from that experience? You know, you know, it's I would suggest that you know. Again, having the positive attitude and, and working your tail off, right? Being proactive, right? Those were the kind of the things that we really wanted to to instill in the program, right? We didn't want to we didn't want to wait for the phone to ring, um, and we you know we had a, a change in philosophy where we weren't going to we were going to proactively sell to to the real Knicks and Rangers and and sports fans and 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 businesses, right? Which meant that you had to go knock on some doors, right? You had to make calls and, and, and to get meetings. Um, and so that was something that was, it, it was not necessarily a, 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 um, a new find, but it was something that was a confirmation of the things that I had done as a sales rep in Phoenix and then had put in place in Charlotte um, as an organization. Yes, these things, they're tried and true, right? If they'll work in Charlotte and they work in the garden, they're going to work anywhere. And really it's about getting in front uh, it's identifying the right lead or prospect and then getting in front of said individual so that you can actually understand opportunities and then, you know, collectively find solutions that make sense uh, for both parties, right? And and that was something that, that really resonated with me from that experience is that, like, the, the things that, that, Travis, you've learned throughout the years, things that I've learned throughout the years, it doesn't matter whether you're in Phoenix or Charlotte or Atlanta, or right. New York, or wherever yep. else, it doesn't matter, right? The basics are the basics. Uh, blocking and tackling. My dad, my, my dad used to say that a lot, right? It's all about blocking and tackling. And then if you can block and tackle, you can have success. Uh, and that's the same for our business as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I remember you know, spending some time with you when you were at MSG and, you know, going back to the comfort zone, right? Like it, it's easy in the comfort zone of Manhattan to like not go out of your comfort zone and to just kind of go to day to day, maybe not feel comfortable getting in front of B2B, but if you're really going to make big sales and, and huge opportunities to provide that value proposition to biz, businesses, you've got to get in front of them. You've got to gotcha. show them what you have to offer. And, you know, I think kind of on the, the turn of this, obviously MSG is, is a huge beast and a huge market, um, but also like, you know, I think the, the question that comes up a lot and, you know, looking at your teams, you know, uh, is the industry is how difficult it is to sell for struggling teams. And I'm sure you've taken a look at your record over the years and, you know, it, it doesn't seem on, on paper it's probably great by any means, uh, probably not the worst, but not great. And so what did you and your team always do to have success regardless whether you're competing for a championship or you're competing for first-round draft pick or first pick? So I think my first two years in this business, we, you know, the Suns organization were competing for a, a championship, and that, that's the only time that I've been, <laughs> been, uh, been uh, in that particular position. Um, and so I think what you find is that, you know, you, you find kind of like who you are and your, your grit and, and like – when you work for teams that necessarily aren't the winning team, right, or the, the most in-demand product in your marketplace, it kind of shows your true color, so to speak, right? Right. right? If you, and if you can, you know, if you can sell, for instance, you know, there was a year in Charlotte where we set the record for the worst basketball team in the history of the sport, yet we still had a very successful year um, in terms of fan engagement, in terms of driving revenue. And, and I think 
that speaks volumes, right? And, and, and at New York, um, at one point, you know, we had some, some similar um, circumstances, you know, with, you know, worst record in the history of the franchise, and yet we still had tremendous success and growth over year over year in yep. terms of what we were trying to accomplish. But, but more than even just the revenue, we were able to, to not only generate revenue, but we were also able to, to grow and develop sales professionals that are continuing to produce at a high, that were producing at a high level then and continue to do so now, whether it's they're still there or they're gone somewhere else. And, yep. and I think that, you know, that's just as important as, as anything. Right. So, um, you know, I think that the way that we go about it and the way that we approach this thing called ticket sales is, is right from after X number of years has proven that it's, you know, it's tried and true. It's successful. Yep. Absolutely. You, you mentioned there, like, what is your advice to, to listeners here, whether they're in a sales role or a leadership role? on putting the blinders on, right? Not worrying necessarily about what the marketplace is saying, not necessarily controlling wins and losses. Like what's your advice for that? I have a funny story about it. It's, it's my freshman year at Illinois. We actually went up to uh, Ann Arbor and we played Michigan and got down something like 14 or 17 points. And I remember um, our head coach at the time, Ron Turner, he talked about, don't worry about the scoreboard, right? Just go out and play one snap and go out and play the next snap. Don't, don't even look at the scoreboard. He didn't want to see anybody's head looking at the scoreboard. And we ultimately came back and won that game. And, you know, the the same if we take, again, taking one experience and one environment and trying to apply that to another, really that's kind of what I've had to do. And what I've tried to do throughout my career, it doesn't matter whether the team, what the record of the team is, uh, who they draft or what, who makes the all-star team. Like we have a, our goal is to put together a product and an experience that resonates with the fan base. And the way that we've got to do that is we've got to identify prospects and our fans and then reach out and start to build relationships with them. Right. And that's asking questions and being genuine and authentic and really listening, proactive listening so that you can understand what the opportunities are, and then, and then you build upon that, right? And, and then you rinse, and then you repeat, right? And it's yep. a, it, it's you're almost always on because you can run into a fan at, at or a prospect at the grocery store, right? And you're always right. on, and you're always asking questions, and you're always listening, right? And and so it's it's a never-ending cycle, so to speak. Um, but if you if if you commit to doing that, it really doesn't matter what the record is, and it doesn't matter. Um, you know, the wins and losses. It's all about the process and doing the, the right things from a sales and service and, and fan engagement and customer experience standpoint that will lead to success. And it comes back to your, your advice from your dad, you know, a long time ago is worry about the X and the O's, the blocking and tackling of it. And, you know, Mark, for your career, after spending four years in New York City, you transition out west where you've been for about a year and a half to the Denver Broncos where you're currently. And so after playing football your whole life, growing around football, was that just always a dream of yours to get to the NFL? Or, or why was that a good opportunity for you? Um, well, yeah, it, it, it really definitely has been a, a dream, right? You know, I've, I've always wanted to be here. Maybe not necessarily in this capacity, but from a little kid, I've always wanted to be here. Um, and so I think that um, there are a number of reasons why it made sense, right? Um, one, the, the the Denver Broncos organization is obviously first class, um, and it's uh, renowned, right, for being that. The people here within the organization, um, whether that's, uh, you know, Matt Freeman or Brittany Bolin or, uh, you know, 
Joe Ellis or Ted Santiago or any, any of, the, of my colleagues here, right? Again, first class. And I've always, I've always um, prided myself in terms of when you look at opportunities, like it doesn't matter necessarily. It matters what the logo is on the building, but more importantly, it matters about the people inside of it, right? And, and I think back to every move that I've made, dating back to recruiting, <laughs> even when I was a teenager, it was always about the people in the building and, and not necessarily the, the logo on it. And so, it, it you know, it, and the, the fact that the, the, the market is, is so supportive of this, this brand as well. So, right, there's those, those three things really made, made it um, quite easy for when the opportunity presented itself to, to jump on it because, again, it checked off all three boxes. Yeah, no, absolutely. So how has the transition been for you? You're going from MSG of 200-plus events a year to 10 games. What's been that transition like? I'd say that the the transition has been um, – it's really been good, right? Um, the fact that there's only – and it's 10 games, but, you know, we have about 15 or 20 events a year when, when all said and done. But uh, it's it's been a very uh, unique transition, and I say that for the fact that it's happened during this global pandemic, right? So right. I've actually been in my office maybe about five times, ten times, and in, in over the course of five months, um, I've got a box of, de- of like knickknacks and things that you know to decorate your office and stuff like that. It's still in the trunk of my car. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, it, 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 but it's been it's it's been a, a a unique transition to to working in Denver, but uh, but it's definitely been a good one. Um, you know, in terms of just. Uh, how open, how welcoming, how supportive everybody's been uh, of me transitioning in, into this role. Um, it's definitely been the right move. That's awesome, and, and certainly excited for you. Like you said, you've been there just a half a year. It's certainly a, an interesting transition, but you know, good things. And like, what are you most excited about with the Denver Broncos as an organization in the NFL? Um, I, I just think the opportunity, right, in, in the platform. And so, you know, we've got we've got some unique. Um, Strategic opportunities that are on the on the uh, the table for us here as an organization that hopefully should come to fruition here in the next couple of years, um, and then here really just getting in, digging in with my premium sales and service team and my my customer service team and my my ops team and 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 the rest of our our colleagues across other departments uh, to really just see if we can how we can we can continue to to deliver on an exceptional customer experience and and, and engage with our fan base and and the marketplace here and continue to make sure that Broncos country is still number one, right. In terms of, you know, what we're trying to accomplish again, uh, customer service, the experience, the, the engagement with our, our fan base here in this market, as well as outside of the market, we've got a, a ton of fans that, that are in market and outside of market. And we want to make sure that everybody has the type of experience that we really want to, to deliver. So, you know, it's, it's a daily challenge, whether we're, whether we've kicked off and it's Sunday afternoon or whether it's, you know, it's not, right? We're, yep. we're constantly working on, on polishing and refining and elevating that. And I think, listeners, you heard a lot about there, you mentioned a couple times, experience, right? That's what we can con- control as salespeople and leaders is controlling the experience, going above and beyond. And, you know, Mark, this has been a, a great conversation. You certainly had a great career, a lot of great, you know, kind of situations that you're a part of and transitions. And so as you look back throughout your entire career in this sports sales industry, what's been your best memory? Oh, I've had a number of them. Um, I've had a number of them. But um, – the one that I usually I don't necessarily know I'm not gonna I'm not going to uh, pin it on one memory I think I'm just gonna pin it on the fact of you know what what really gets me and reason that I that I 
do what I do and, and, and you know, what I, the passion that I have for this business really is, is watching others grow, learn, develop. Again, maybe that's, that's you know, it's my father, you know, coaching me, right? But, uh, but that's what I really enjoy. And, and I've been fortunate enough, I've been blessed enough to be surrounded by um, supremely talented professionals in this industry. Even if the ones that are starting in inside sales day one, it's like, yeah, that person's really talented. Yep. And, and, watching, and watching he or she grow, right, and learn and develop and then whether internally or externally take off, so to speak, right, and watch that. And you've seen it, right, because you've got your own people that you've done that with, right, and watch the, 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 the rocket ship or, or jet pack turn on and as they, they get the light bulb goes on and, and they start to – their career takes off, right, that I think that's what I enjoy the most about this business, and and I'd say that's my best memory, and I've got several of them. And to point, it, it, your point throughout the entire podcast, right? It starts and stops with people. You know, if you surround right. yourself with good people, good things will happen. And Mark, this has been great, ton of great insight, certainly a great story. So to close it out, I like to put our guest on the hustle hot seat. So you ready for this? Absolutely. All right. What is your favorite item that you've purchased this year? My Xbox Series X. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, what's was, the, what's the go-to the, game right now? Oh, it's it's always Madden. It's always Madden. But I was oh. one of the fourteen ones that got one. Now, are you are you still creating yourself as a as the safety on the Denver Broncos at this point? You know that wouldn't be too authentic because I think <laughs> I, I'm aged out of Madden <laughs> on the field. So now I just focus on the X's and O's. All right, all right, nice. And you know, Mark, I know you're a dog person. So what type of breed? What type uh, you know breed of dog would you be? Well. I've, you know, my, you know, Pitbull. I'm just going to leave it at that. You know, Pitbull. I, and I'm not from the breed of – I just think that they're very loyal. They're very friendly. They're very compassionate. Uh, but they can be aggressive when they need to, right? And, uh, yeah, I, I think that that covers it. All right. If you would, if you were to be on any reality TV show, what are you picking? What show are we seeing Mark Jackson on? Oh, reality TV show. You know – I really don't watch reality TV. Um, oh, reality TV show. Uh, definitely not the uh, voice of the mass singer because I, I don't have those talents. Um, <laughs> maybe Survivor. Maybe Survivor. Survivor. That's a strategic game. Uh, that's, you know, it's a thoughtful strategic game that you got to kind of figure out a way to politic and whatnot. So maybe that's it. All right. That's good. That's good. Mark, to close it out, what are three key takeaways you'd give every listener to be in your shoes one day? Um, details matter. Find a way to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And try to get better every single day, right? If, if you can do those three things, you'll be successful. And, I, and I'm saying those three things, assuming that you're going to have a positive attitude and you're going to work your tail off, right? The grind is going to be there, right? Because if you don't have those two things, like you're not going to be successful anyway in anything that you do. But if you do, if with those two things plus those other three others, you'll make it. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of these are intangibles, right? Details do matter. The little things go a long way, whether you're internally or, or outward facing with customers, we talk a lot about it in this podcast, being uncomfortable, you know, putting yourself out there. And, and again, you have to strive to be, to be better and to be elite every single day. And, Mark, thank you so much. Certainly a great career, a fun journey you've had. I always appreciate your time and, and certainly your expertise. Absolutely, man. Anytime. Perfect. Again, this is Travis Apple. Thank you for listening to 52 Weeks of Hustle presented by Event Dynamic. 
Please be sure to follow the podcast and watch on YouTube. We're also on Twitter and Instagram, so follow us at 52 Weeks of Hustle. We'll be back next week with another industry leader. Have a great week. in the air at Littleton Coin Company and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.